What is up, guys? Welcome to the Meeting Up Podcast. I'm Andres. This is RB3. And this is the podcast where we talk about the favorite movies and the deeper meaning within those movies. And no, we're not doing a director. However, we kind of cheated this week and we decided to do a franchise instead. Uh, last week, we talked about the Wachowskis. And this week, we're going to talk about the movie that made the Wachowskis who they are today. And that is the Matrix Trilogy. Obviously, we're going to emphasize a little bit more on the first movie. However, we will talk about the sequels as well. So make sure you guys tune in after the break for that. Uh, but RB3, I'm excited. And you know why I'm excited, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. This is like your favorite uh, favorite movie of all time we're about to talk about. It kind of is. It's in my top four. If you go to my letterbox, I think it's up there. Uh, it's in my like top movies of all, all time. Like I put it up there as far as like top four, top five top three top one it switches up and down but either way the matrix is probably the most influential besides star wars because everyone's like what about star wars uh influential movie personally to me uh out of any other movie uh and i think it's the perfect movie and i think it balances so much really well and i think it's like the perfect year to come out and i'm on that perfect age of like manipulation <laughs> Uh, and it's just one of those movies that really it stuck with me for so many years. And I, and I kind of want to start there, RB3. What, what was your first memory of watching this movie for the first time? And what was your reaction? Um, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, same thing as, you know, I think a lot of movies that we talked about in this podcast, I was kind of just um, stumbling across, uh, you know, uh, cable or whatever and, um, and, and, and stumbled across the matrix and, it's one of those movies that, you know, you, at least for me, I didn't see it in theaters. So it was one of those things that like, you know, more of like the parodies and the spoofs thing before you actually like watch the movie itself. So like, for me, it was like, that was really my intro. And I used to watch it so much, like when I first figured out what it was and then actually sitting down to watch it. And it, and it was literally, I mean, like you said, it's almost like pretty much a perfect movie just from the standpoint of like how many different genres it combines the story structure, it tells the perfect like hero's journey story uh, from, from top, from, from start to finish. Um, and yeah, overall it's just really, really cool. Um, one of my favorite um, action movies of all time, one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. Um, you know, one of the best gun food movies of all time. And uh, clearly launched, you know, obviously Keanu Reeves is kind of already a star before this. Lawrence Fishburne was already a star before this, but it's kind of, set a lot of those people into like a whole nother stratosphere and um, obviously put the Wachowskis on uh, in, the, in the forefront into the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to go off that too, as far as genre goes. Obviously, I'll, I'll, that'll be my follow-up. I'll do a quick little intro about my experience watching this movie. I, I remember watching this movie at, at a friend's house. It was it was my brother's friend and that was always the thing as, as I'm the youngest of my family. So I have two older brothers and an older sister. Uh, and I always have that shadow of living the older brother lifestyle. That's why I have a lot of memories of like stuff that's before my generation mm. um, that I shouldn't be fans of, but I am because I have older brothers that are fans of that. Right. Uh, so I got to watch movies that were like rated R and stuff <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that were I wasn't supposed to watch during that year. Uh, and I remember just being blown away. I, I, I think I still have a picture of me uh, dressed up as Neo. And I think I was like eight, eight or nine years old right after the movie. I'd put the sunglasses on. I'd comb my hair. Uh, and, and then I, I would try to put like my dad's jacket or something and try to do martial arts. Uh, I, I've talked to you, RB3, ad nauseum about my obsession with martial arts. Uh, my older brother... Uh, the the one in LA that w you and I talk about actually mm -hmm. is is him and I have that that bond of connection with we grew up with Bruce Lee, we would watch martial arts movies, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, all this kind of stuff. So I I can't came from that style. I wanted to be a martial artist my entire life. Like I've I've followed it forever. Um, so the fact that this movie combines everything, all black everything, like gothic punk, cyberpunk. Uh, at, at martial arts, uh, it, it basically like anime style fighting, like everything yeah. a, a little kid would love. 
that's my first impression, right? Is just the awe and the nature of the spectacle of the film. But it's funny re-watching this movie so many times, because again, it's probably the movie I've seen the most besides Underworld. I don't really count because <laughs> no one really watches Underworld besides me. Uh, but that's another one that has the similar aesthetic. I mean, it's literally almost copying the Matrix. Uh, but it's funny that later on, I see that the way I explain this, because I, I mean, obviously I told my parents I'm doing this episode on the Matrix. I tell my parents, The Matrix is kind of this crazy uh, gung-fu anime movie with so much guns and so much martial arts and so much action, but that's almost like the wrapping. And in and underneath it all, you get this like story about philosophy and control and metaphors about humanity and choice and decisions and 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 just the, the flaws of human nature and where nature takes us and what is nature and our obsession with technology and where is that going to lead us? Uh, what do you th- what do you uh, obviously what do you think about that and what do you think about genres? Because do you do you how, how would you you know categorize this movie? Um, well, I think at, at its heart, I think at its heart is definitely an action film. I think at at, okay. at its heart. It definitely so has like, wrong. <laughs> no, 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 you're not wrong. But I mean, that's what makes it, that's what makes any movie a great movie. That's what makes the great movies great is what, like not having a clear genre. Um, that's what makes great storytelling, honestly. And that's what it's all about. I mean, they, I, for, for me, I call it action because there's a lot of bullets and there's a lot of fighting and there's uh, a lot of the style is oriented towards action. But that being said, like, you know, like this isn't, this is definitely, I think probably the top contender for like the greatest action movie of all time. Like, and I think that's why, you know, it, and, and, you know, it, it, it does have, it, you could, you could definitely categorize it as science fiction too. I think the sci-fi aspects come more prominent in the second and third movies. Um, whereas, you know, this one has, a, it, it does present greater questions that sci-fi movies would present though. Like the idea of, like you said, choice, philosophy, all that kind of stuff. But what makes, you know, with all the different genres it blends, it also blends together like all these different communities, right? Like there are so many different readings and interpretations that people get from the matrix. There's literally thousands. I mean, people, you know, you can use it from any side of whatever argument um, that you want to, that you want to talk about. Like you want to, you know, a lot of people have like uh, queer interpretations of it. A lot of people have um, philosophical, uh, you know, interpretations of it. You know, there are some people on the right who use it as like men's rights activists interpretations of it. Uh, there's definitely like a hundred bajillion ways you could like read this movie and in almost every way kind of works because of how strong and how broad and how concrete like the metaphor is. The idea of like awakening, the idea of like coming out of, you know, for in terms of like queer metaphors, like the idea of like coming out of the closet was, you know, in terms of like political metaphors, it's like what's the you know being uh, being red pilled, you know having having a being awoken to what um, government organizations are doing or or, or or things like that. So it's it's definitely there's a hundred bajillion ways you could read it. And I think that's why it's remained on the tip of people's tongue even twenty some odd years later. Yeah, absolutely. It, like like you said, the, the reason why it has so many readings though is because of what's underneath all the action and all the spectacle and all the martial arts. It is a, a pretty interesting philosophical movie that poses a lot of questions and a lot of ideas and a lot of metaphors to society today or 1999, but still you can take it to today. Uh, it still applies. It, it's really fascinating how the Wachowskis decided to do that, but they give credit to, to anime. So I'm going to give credit to anime because if people have watched anime in the past and I know I've gone on spiels about it, but that's what anime is, man. And I've said it so many times before, like anime is deep, powerful, political messages inside crazy animated spectacle of martial arts and action. Like if you watch Attack on Titan, if you watch Ghost in the Shell, these animes kind of reel you in through spectacle and through action and underneath it all the true core of this anime of any anime that i enjoy is is a pretty powerful message and i like that they wanted to have that aesthetic that feel that vibe of like 
an anime, a live action anime movie without officially making it an, an original adaptation of something. Like they wanted to make it an original movie and they, they didn't want to adapt anything. But there's a lot of Ghost in the Shell in this movie. There's a lot of anime inspiration. What do you think about it on that front? Because I know a lot of people ask me, you know, when are we going to see a good live action anime movie? And I'm like, The Matrix. And I know it doesn't count officially, but this is kind of like <laughs> my anime live action movie because this is what it would be. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's what, you know, the, the style is definitely indicative of it. Um, you look at... Um, Movies like Ghost in the Shell, which we've talked about a little bit before in the past. I mean, this quite literally takes inspiration from Ghost in the Shell, um, Akira, um, all these all-time classic uh, sci-fi anime movies that all kind of deal with the idea of the same 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 concept, like awakening, technology, the threat of technology, um, things like that. That just gives all these different ways of looking at uh, the way the world works um, and, and philosophies and ideas. And, you know, that's something that anime definitely derives from, both from a philosophical standpoint, and Matrix takes that from anime, both on a philosophical standpoint with the deeper questions like you mentioned, but then also um, in terms of style too. I mean, you see a lot of uh, Eastern influences in general, like Kung Fu movies playing a big part into it. Um, and literally there's a whole scene where um, Lawrence Fishburne and, 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 um, and Keanu Reeves are doing the martial arts training that's something that would also derive from from anime too, and just from um, Eastern culture in general. So they really took a broad range and, and incorporated a lot of these different genres and everything like that. Um, so it's, it's all really it's all really interesting. No, it, it's funny because you say that that scene with Keanu and, and Lawrence Fishburne training. I was like, you bet your butt there's a training scene in every single anime I've ever seen. Exactly. <laughs> like every anime has like a training fight scene or some sort of training scene or some sort of martial arts. Like, like let's face it, that's kind of what makes anime anime or at least action anime. Uh, it, it, that's why I, I laugh at that because I'm like, yeah, that's still pretty much anime. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to get into, man. But I, I want to try and I know I, I want to take talk about the elephant in the room to to do the meaning of with the meaning of right so you yeah. said there's a lot of re uh, readings in this movie what do you what is your reading rb3 in this movie what is the matrix trying to say what is the meaning of the matrix now this that 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 is a tricky question because it, it all really comes down to a lot of different factors right um i personally um i personally I personally look at it as as uh, the the new as a veil of technology, right? Like how we uncover the veil of technology and how um, technology in and of itself can be both a benefit and a detriment to our understanding of society. How somebody who you know, like Keanu Reeves' character in this movie, who's obsessed with uh, who's obsessed with technology, is kind of spinning all night on the internet, which back in 1999, I was seen as like criminal, like criminalized, right? and how his engagement with technology kind of puts him at a different forefront, but ultimately stuck in that same kind of uh, redundant um, kind of monochromatic world that he was living in and escaping and breaking from that and learning that there's like with technology and with the overusage of technology comes a certain level of control. How much, uh, how much technology has ended up controlling our lives, how much we're glued to TVs, computer screens, social media, um, at least especially in today's era, especially during a quarantine like that too, especially like a quarantine like we are in today, um, we are seeing how, how, how much bigger technology is playing into a factor into just keeping people's like livelihoods in check. Um, and where is our society gonna be after that? Um, so that's kind of the major reading that I kind of always uh, extrapolated from this movie. But that being said, I mean, there's literally, like I said, a thousand ways to read it that I think are all like pretty valid. Like, you know, the, the queer reading, I think, is probably one of the most prominent ones and I think is even more evident just by the Wachowski siblings and or the Wachowski sister, sisters in and of themselves. That one just, you know, that one kind of sticks out and almost seems like it's almost like naturally what this movie's trying to say, right? There's also a racial metaphor that you could take from this movie too, the idea of like um, awakening and understanding what, uh, what kind of racial discriminations lie uh, underneath this world, right? Like, how the history of America and the history of society has always been predicated towards enslavement, towards uh, prejudices, towards this idea of superiority amongst races, and how you know how we're kind of 
coaxed with all kinds of distractions and things like that to kind of cover that up. But then if you, you know, take a red pill and, and, and awaken, you can kind of see what's, what's happening in that front too. You could, that's, that theory could really be more supported by the fact that they were originally going to cast like Will Smith as Neo and then Halle Berry as, um, as, um, oh man, I'm losing, um, uh, uh, Trinity. Trinity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 one of the original casting ideas was to have Halle Berry, um, Will Smith and Lawrence, Fish, Lawrence Fishburne too. So like, there's a way you could read, if they had a cast it that way, there would have been a much clearer kind of racial component that you could kind of take from it too. So it's, it goes all, it goes all different types of ways and how, and how you could kind of see, um, and th yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different readings of it. What's your interpretation of it though? Which one do you think is probably one that suits you the most? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating that you say that because that that's another thing that I mean, I'll I'll do it right now. I want to give credit to the Wachowskis that I noticed rewatching the movies is how much they really emphasized to have a diverse cast. This is 1999. Like mm -hmm. this isn't, you know, 2020 where they're like, we're pushing this now. But back in 1999, this wasn't that common, if I'm being real. And they wanted Will Smith. They wanted Halle Berry. They wanted to have more people of color in this movie. And the fact that we have people like APOC, like Tank and Dozer, uh, mm. and, and then the genius mastermind guru is Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Like and the, the, the Oracle. Leader, yeah. The leader of the human people is Morpheus and the Oracle, like you said. Go, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. The, or, the Oracle being portrayed by um, an African black woman um, showing how, you know, throughout history, there's kind of been this whitewashing of religion um, throughout society and how, um, and how religion, you know, especially in the story of the Bible and Jesus Christ has always come back to uh, evidence that there's always been a lot more presence of uh, Afri African and uh, brown-skinned people than there's always been presented and, you know, the, w the way art has presented religion. And then on top of that, you know, there's also the bigger religious reading that this movie kind of takes on oh, too. I'll go there. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's just, that's just, one of the hundred bajillion ways you can kind of look at what this movie is trying to go for and what it's trying to understand. Is it possible that, is it possible, and, I, and I'm being real here, that they, they can do it all? The Wachowskis decided, and, and I really do think so, rewatching these movies, like there isn't one particular philosophy inside the Matrix. There isn't one theme or one message. There's several and I, and I think they really do it on purpose that they try to put in several themes and messages and, 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 and metaphors and all this kind of stuff. And they just kind of, you know, slowly bring them together throughout the trilogy. But I really do feel like there's a lot of readings and I, and I think they all kind of work cohesively if mm. I'm, if I'm being honest, cause, cause yeah, I mean, you ask me what I think, I think it's the speech that Morpheus gives when he's showing him the desert of the real uh, when he says, you know, why did they do this? You know, why do they want to survive? And what is the matrix for? And then he turns off the TV and he just drops it. Like, I swear, bro. I, he drops it like a hip hop rapper. He's like control. And the way he like says it, he's like, I straight up hit you with something so powerful. You're about to like get blown away. But he says, it's all about control. You know, the matrix is, is, is set so that you're, satisfied being in there with whatever job you have, with whatever life you have, and with whatever uh, opportunities that you were limited to. You know, that's why the machines made the matrix the way it is, is so that you're satisfied with limitations. Uh, and, and that could be applied to, like you said, technology, but I also use the combination of technology, corporations, and government kind of all swirled into one and how the the red pill is to awaken us to the fact that we're constantly being advertised to we're being shown what to think what to buy what to believe whether it's on tv the news is telling us to believe a certain way i, I turn on fox news and they're telling me what to believe they're not showing me the news they're telling me this is what you should believe and that is awakening to the matrix and the matrix is all this kind of advertisement and information almost set to to soothe my brain into a into a, a state of comfort 
where I'm okay being brainwashed and I'm okay being where I'm at and limited to where I'm at, whether that's poverty, whether that's dealing with racism, uh, whether that's uh, dealing with emotional and, and physical issues uh, in the healthcare system, a anything like that is, is, is awakening to the fact that the, the matrix is anyone who's attempting to take away your right to expand and to think and to mm -hmm. open up and to make your own choices and, and to diversify your life. Uh, so that's kind of my rating uh, to the bigger metaphor of what the matrix is. And that's kind of the metaphor of the hero's journey story in general. And that's why this movie fits in so perfectly with the hero's journey um, idea, the same idea that we see in Star Wars, the same idea that we see in um, uh, Lord of the Rings, the same idea we see in a lot of these classic stories is the idea of like being, going outside of your comfort zone and entering into territories that are yet unseen and how are you gonna deal with that? How are you gonna cope with that? What does that mean for the greater ramifications of yourself, for others, the sacrifices that you have to make in order to make change, character growth, all of that stuff is all playing into that. So that's why I say The Matrix is a perfect hero's journey story because it, it tells that, it, it goes into the both the, hero's journey from a story standpoint, from a structural standpoint, but also from a philosophical standpoint, from a thematic standpoint, and hones in on the idea of change and development and what um, a new perspective on the world entails. Yeah, and, and real quick, I wanna give a shout out to, to the queer reading, just because uh, you introduced me to a, a, a podcast called The Canon, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And they did. Did you hear their Matrix episode? I did hear Matrix a few, a few uh, like a while ago when they first when it first came out. That's when I first heard that, and my mind just exploded because <laughs> mm -hmm. I never thought about that. I was like, "Wait a minute, yeah, if I'm a per if I if I'm a you know LGBT person, I'm I'm probably going to think that's exactly what it is." Uh, it was uh, Carmen Expo uh, Carmen Esposito and Amy Nicholson who talked about it, and and she kind of talked about like. Neo awakening is him coming out of the, the closet and realizing that the way society told him to be a certain way isn't what it is. Uh, mm. And he's allowed to, to be himself and to break out of the mold and the matrix is societal norms telling him that this is how it's always been for the past, you know, 100,000 years. So this is what you have to do. Uh, and if you divert this way, you're going against the norm and you're going against uh, normalcy, I guess. Uh, and, and I was like, Oh <laughs> yeah, totally. I get that a hundred percent, especially like you said, with the Wachowskis. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was fascinating. I, I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, um, one of the things that I actually learned from listening to the canon from that particular episode was the fact that, um, the character of switch and, and, uh, the matrix was supposed to originally be a, uh, gender fluid character. Um, way back in 1999, where, you know, when she when she was in, I believe it's like when uh, she was in the real world, she was a, a man, but when she was in the Matrix, she was a woman. Uh, but then, oh. uh, yeah, that's what, and, but they, um, but, you know, back in 1999, the studio obviously, like, wasn't okay with that. So then the Wachowskis kind of made her character more androgynous. So, you know, like the shorter hair with just kind yeah. of, like, more, you know, masculine clothing, just so that at least that that could be represented on some sense, but that was originally what the film was supposed to be. It's crazy because I, I I know and love every single character, including Switch. Mm -hmm. uh, I love Switch, and I and I love that. Now that you bring that up, she's the only one that doesn't wear all black. She mm -hmm. wears all white, uh, almost signifying that she's different. That that, mm -hmm. that she kind of walks her own path going against the, the Nebuchadnezzar crew that Morpheus establishes that everyone has to wear all black and here comes Switch wearing all white. And I was like, that, I, that girl stands out. She's different. Right. Uh, so it's cool that you say that. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, before we go to the, to the sequels, I, I wanna talk about the impact film-wise that this movie had on film. I mean, obviously bullet time is something that pretty much every action movie following the Matrix for the next 10, 15 years copied. Uh, aesthetic, uh, feel, action. The Matrix essentially established kind of this guideline principle 
of how to make a cool action movie. What do you think the influence this movie has on the rest of Hollywood? Yeah, the aesthetic, the aesthetic is also probably one of the most noteworthy things about this movie. Um, the cyberpunk uh, usage of, of aesthetic that um, comes from this movie. I mean, you know, I talk about timestamp a lot, timestamp, dark costuming and all that kind of stuff was inspired a lot by the Matrix and, and the kind of all black kind of cyberpunk kind of feel to it. Um, I think the dark contrasty like color coloring. I mean, a lot of people make fun of how like, you know, overly green it is. Um, but I've always thought that was the coolest thing about it. Like it has like a central color palette that like has this like defined thing that you still see movies doing like to this day. Um, I think um, from, like you said, Bullet Time, which, you know, to be fair, it didn't originate from the Wachowskis themselves. It came from a, a Michael Gondry uh, French commercial back in uh, the mid nineties or something like that, or late nineties. But, um, but this goes to show how in 1999, and I keep making this point over and over on this podcast, 1999 was probably the biggest turning point in cinematic history. Um, you know, we talk about movies like Magnolia, um, American Beauty, um, The Matrix, um, the, Star Wars. Uh, Spike Jones one, I forget what it was called. Oh, uh, Being John Malkovich. Um, yeah, the Star Wars uh, Phantom, Phantom Menace, which, you know, regardless of what you think of it, did was a game changer when it comes to CGI and all that kind of stuff. Um, and on top of that, and, di and digital photography as well. And on top of that, um, it goes to show, you know, with, with the Matrix, outside of the filmic perspective, um, it created a whole new generation of transmedia um, kind of philosophy too. And when transmedia is the idea of like continuing a story outside of the cinematic realm, like the idea of like this movie and this end credits told people to go to thematrix.com or whatever, or thematrixmovie.com. And it sent people to a whole different um, avenue of where they could explore more stories about this movie, more backstory about um, about about the Matrix and about um, the machines and all of these uh, cool backstories that ended up becoming part of the sequels and allowing a new level of fan engagement to, to perpetrate um, even further down the line for the sequels. So it changed the game in terms of like film in and of itself, style in and of itself, action in and of itself, but then also changed the game of how people and studios use movies to interact with uh, the audience and engage the audience. It's incredible. I mean, the fact that this movie, and I think you said it before, so I'll give you credit. Uh, it, I don't think we're ever going to get a, an original franchise that has this much of an impact probably ever again. And, and I know that's a bold statement, but you said that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of true. The Matrix, the fact that it had the budget that it had, that was a big budget. Like, mm -hmm. let's face it, that was a lot of money they spent on all the production design and all the visual effects because the combination of both is like one of the best I've ever seen in any movie. The yeah. fact that they fused, like that's a real helicopter, but they're still able mm -hmm. to kind of show some tricks in the background that it's not actually, you know, flying over the city. And they, they fused it so perfectly together, which is expensive to do. Uh, and they, they decided to green light this and to green light this production budget because let's face it nowadays the studios would be like hell no i'm not going to give you that much money for what an original sci-fi no get out of here mm. uh, it, so that is number one i, I think that is absolutely incredible and, and number two uh, i'm with you on 1999 the fact that uh, it's actually I, I think i might have told you about this man the article by amy nicholson it's funny she wrote an article i, I forget where titled why 1999 is the most influential movie year of all time. I think I told you about this uh, a while ago. It mm -hmm. came out like two years ago. Mm -hmm. And it, everything you said, yes, 1999 was all about experimentation and trying something different and trying something new and, and trying to inspire a new generation of filmmakers. And the fact that the Wachowskis, this was their, I think, second feature, right? Literally a second it, film, yeah. Like, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> Like nowadays, you just would not get that much budget for a crazy sci-fi action movie, you know, reaching the hundreds of millions of dollar budget. And the yeah. fact that they're able to do all that while simultaneously almost educating an audience to to Eastern philosophy and metaphor. Dude, I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, there's a reason why this happens to be one of my favorite movies uh, like of all time, but the fact that this movie influenced action movies, 
the mm. slow-mo it influenced video games man oh like oh yeah how many video games were inspired by the matrix like we mm. wouldn't have what we have now in video games if it wasn't for this movie mm. uh it's incredible it's absolutely it's, incredible and the video games played back into the transmedia that i was talking about too because this yeah. is one of the first times you saw i played him yeah yeah no literally i mean i remember i didn't play it myself but i remember having my cousins used to play them on a, a playstation one and i was that might have actually been a, more when i was more familiar with it as more of the as a video game than i was as a movie when i was when i was younger um but yeah i mean that's literally one of those examples of how of how that of, of how that plays into like today's era of you know having a movie video game i mean it doesn't happen as much anymore but like back in like the 2000s it was a huge wave of like um video games and movie uh, uh you know uh adaptations and then uh, you know to the original sci-fi uh point literally the only i think probably the only other time in like 10 years that we've or like 20 years since this movie that we've seen an, uh, a big budget original sci-fi movie again was Inception. Um, and that is after Nolan had to hit like a billion dollars on Batman to, <laughs> to for them to even give that, for them to even give Inception a shot. But even even Inception is a little different because it's not, a, it, it didn't spawn a franchise. And I don't, you know, as, as big as Inception is, I don't think it probably had as much influence on Hollywood as, as The Matrix did. Dude. You're number one, dude. This is why you're you're here. <laughs> this is why you're the star of the show, man. You're spot on. I was like, oh my god, you're so right. And the fact that you're right, number one, my your point is still valid. Where they they gave that budget to Nolan for an original sci-fi only because of Batman, mm. not because of any other reason. So it, it, the point still exists that they this wouldn't happen nowadays to new filmmakers. Mm. Uh, and number two, the fact that Every time someone asks me about anime films and what is live action anime, I always say The Matrix and Inception mm -hmm. uh, because the, the Inception was also inspired by anime. Like Nolan has said that like a million times. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Paprika uh, is, the, is the anime that he gives credit to. Uh, so the fact that the two live action anime films are The Matrix and Inception, with the, which are both original sci-fi movies with, with a big budget. Mm -hmm. It's incredible, man. That you're you're oh, you blew my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just trying, so to, I'm good. trying to talk. But yeah, no, that's you know that's you know that's that's honestly you know it, it's so rare, and I don't you know that's why you gotta applaud movies like The Matrix, and you gotta put and applaud Warner Brothers too because they're the ones who did both The Matrix and Inception, um, and they they take a little more risk than I think a lot more other studios would. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's it, this this movie. I think this movie, if I'm not mistaken. Warner Bros. is kind of having a hard time in the in the mid to late '90s because I mean, if you think about it, they didn't really have any kind of big titles back then. You, you know, Universal was doing it big with Jurassic Park and Disney. It's always been Disney, um, but you know, Warner Bros. didn't really have like their like their groundbreaking hits like during this time. But this movie took them to a whole nother stratosphere that kind of led them to like rule in the 2000s. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. And before we go, I want to say real quick for Matrix One. Favorite scene, and there's mm. a lot, and favorite line. It could be a funny line. It could be a serious line. Uh, it just oh. real quick off the top, favorite scene in the movie. It could be an action scene. It could be a dramatic scene. Anything you want. Um, yeah, I mean, probably, um, I, I guess probably my favorite scene has always just been, I, I always love like the kind of Western showdown that agent smith and um neo have like in the in the subway um scene where it's literally i mean they literally have like a tumbleweed like uh going through the background of that scene uh, i always thought that was amazing um favorite line I, that was a little trickier i have to, I have to think about that one but i mean what okay. are some what are some of your favorites you stole mine i mean that that fight scene between agent smith and neo i've said it before i think i've said it on like movie fights or something I still consider it to be one of the best movie fights we've ever seen. It's yeah. ironic on movie fights. I said it on movie fights, like fights, like hand to hand combat we've ever seen in any movie. It's so well directed, well choreographed, well done. The actors themselves did it. Like we didn't talk about the martial arts angle and how they actually train for months mm -hmm. with actual mm -hmm. Kung mm -hmm. Fu experts. They had to like bring him from China. 
<laughs> yeah. Like they actually brought him from Hong Kong movies uh, and they, they, they were able to train with that ability. And, and I've said it before as a joke, but it's kind of true that Keanu o- owes all his John Wick uh, uh, credit to the Matrix because without that training, he wouldn't have that natural crazy ability to be a believable action star. Yeah. Um, but he that he is now. But that fight scene is incredible. Uh, the shootout at the end of the building where they're trying to save uh, Morpheus. Yeah. Uh, w- when they're entering the building and they pull out all the guns is yeah. absolutely amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. So I also genuinely to this day every 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 time um, the scene comes up when um, when he has the little Nokia phone and his like office and the Nokia phone is going off and then Morpheus is like talking him through on the phone like. You have to run. You have to escape. Every time that that just kind of like gives me chills. And then he does like the jump out of the uh, um, out of the window thing. Oh, so good! That literally just like ah, that, that's always my favorite part too. Yeah, and favorite line, real quick. Uh, this was actually I did a little Matrix uh, quiz with Video Drew uh, mm-hmm. last week, and this was a question. And I was like, bro, you can't you can't ask me this. Like this is so easy for me because I quote this. The most quotable line I always quote is Switch. Uh, right before she dies, when she says, "Not like this, not like this," <laughs> yeah, and I always quote that with like, I don't know, if they say the NBA is canceled, I'm like, "Not like this, <laughs> please, not like this," <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, not- or anything at all. I always quote that. I'm just like, "Oh, it's so good." Yeah, no, that's that's that that's it right there. I, I had to Google a little bit because I had to uh, rem- f- figure out the line exactly. I guess it's maybe not a line. I guess it's like the full scene too. But I've always loved the the spoon boy. Uh, don't try uh, and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Then you'll see that uh, it's not the spoon that bends. It's only yourself. Like that to me is yeah. just like perfectly encapsulates like the theme of this movie of just like the idea of like you don't have like you you know if regardless if you have control or not you have to make control yourself. You have to make those choices yourself. So. I, I love that. I dig. I dig that so much. It's a, it's so good. And obviously, Mor- Morpheus has like bangers. Like every Morpheus line is like a hip hop rap line. Like I swear, that guy's like a battle rapper. Yeah, he's dropping bars. Yeah, he's dropping bars in every single one. Uh, my favorite Mor- Morpheus ones are uh, when he tells Neil right after he pulls uh, Trinity out of the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a difference between knowing the path, the path, and walking the path. Uh, and I was like, yo, that's bars. Uh, and when he, when he, when Trinity is like, what is he doing when he chooses to fight Smith? And yeah. he's like, he's beginning to believe. And I was like, yo, <laughs> yeah. yo, I'm beginning to believe. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So no, I, it's, it's good stuff. I think every Morpheus line is like, just so freaking good. Yeah. Uh, and I told you about the control one. I still think that is like, turns off the TV and he's like, what, why do they want it? Control. And the way he says it, I'm like, bro. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, all righty, guys. That was our first conversation on The Matrix 1. After the break, we're going to talk about The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolution. So make sure you stick around. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the 450 divide you in half. You getting at me equals a club half. The following is a clip from our new show, Netflix Roulette, starring Cade Hughesby. Enjoy! Which I and a guest will basically be going through Netflix, randomly selecting a piece of content out of the huge pile of shows and movies they have, and reviewing it, dissecting it, and letting you know if you should go watch it or not. Hey Siri, pick a number between 1 and 6. The answer is 3. Okay, so we are going down one, two, three. So in the third row, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven titles. There's seven titles. All right, hey Siri, pick a number between one and five. The answer is three. Okay, so the third title in the ensemble movies category in the exciting crime comedy genre is Odu Raja Odu. I just butchered that. Come along, children. Now we're going to have a little music.
What is up, guys? We're back talking about The Matrix. Now we're getting into the sequels. Uh, and this is where the people turn, RB3. <laughs> uh, for some reason, people really do not like The Matrix sequels. Uh, and I'm going to go straight to you. Uh, why do people not like the sequels at all? Um, well, it goes back to what I was uh, kind of was talking to, to and alluded in the um, first in the first uh, half of this. In the first half of this, I think the Matrix has so like firmly asserted itself as like an action movie, as an action franchise. That by the time it got to the second one, and particularly the third one, where a lot of the action was kind of stripped away in favor of sci-fi ideas and philosophy and um, talking. And I think that's honestly like the biggest thing is people people got kind of uh, bogged down by like the exposition, how many times characters are just kind of talking to each other about like philosophy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, I'm sure on a, on a writing perspective, like on the page, like the Matrix will probably, the Matrix sequels will probably be beautiful pieces of reading material. Um, but I think from a cinematic perspective, uh, the dialogue and the monologues uh, probably got a little, a little too, too heavy for people. Um, and, you know, to be frank, I mean, a lot of people aren't like you and I or, or this podcast or, or our listeners, because frankly, we have like really smart listeners, but a lot of people, frankly, aren't that smart. Like they kind of have to be food sped a lot of stuff. And, um, there is no and spoon. yeah, there's no spoon. You can't, you can't bend it. You have to, it's only yourself. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> the, how, the, can I, the, what, how can they be spoon fed if there is no spoon? I know the, the the Wachowskis are trying to tell you from the very beginning, but yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's tough to uh, it's tough to get behind, but at the same time, it's like I, I I understand. I mean, the idea of having technology and all these you know all these big sci-fi things of like predetermination, all that kind of stuff, it's just going to go over people's head. And most people don't go to movies to like be lectured; they go to movies to watch movies. So, bro, you know what's funny? Everything you said is probably true, but I'm doing a Ghost in the Shell rewatch, uh, mm. uh, standalone complex, the, the series, not the movie. Because every time I say Ghost in the Shell, everyone's like, I love that movie. And I'm like, no, have you seen the anime? And they're like, what? There's an anime? And yeah. they're like, uh, this is why yeah. I'm doing a video on it. <laughs> right. uh, uh, and yeah, you know what's funny, man? That's exactly what Ghost in the Shell is. It's, it's it's action 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 and then exposition for 20 minutes <laughs> yeah uh yeah. And, and it works so well in anime and it really kind of doesn't work in live action is what i've noticed mm -hmm. that that people american audiences hate exposition like they mm -hmm. hate it and i'm telling you like eastern audiences love it like they mm -hmm. want to be taught a lesson like I, I watch my hero academia and there's like an entire episode of just, I'm teaching you a lesson and, and, you know, anime audiences are like, Oh yeah, I'm loving this. And mm -hmm. you know, even though there's no spoon, they're being, <laughs> they're yeah. eating it up somehow. Um, right. But, but they love the exposition and American audiences despise it. So it's funny how mm -hmm. the Wachowskis kind of stay true to that anime vibe in nature. Uh, even though they, didn't transfer over to American audiences as far as reception goes. I mean, this still made money. Like the sequels made money. Um, oh, most definitely. And they're still incredible. I mean, if anything, man, they wanted to amp up the action in this movie. And yeah. I kind of think they did that. I still think, I know a lot of people say it, but that freeway fight, that highway fight is bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the first fight scene with Neo and those guards is incredible. Uh, mm. I think it's the second fight scene, actually. Uh, and then even when Neo uh, fights the other guy who's, who keeps up with him is incredible. The twins are cool. Like, the you know, the, yeah. yeah, the twins that phase in and out, like those guys are yeah. sick. Yeah, I, I think a lot know, of people... It's still a cool action movie, right? Uh, yeah, it's still cool. It's still really cool. I think a lot of people uh, got bogged down by the, the one action scene with, with uh, Agent Smith and Neo. Uh, that was like so heavily CGI. 
That was the only one. You notice I didn't mention it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I think that's the one that kind of turned a lot of people off. Like, uh, what's going on? Uh, But, yeah, when it's not, like, super CGI and super rubbery looking, like the the highway fight scene, it's it's actually incredible. And it's to be said that they actually filmed The Matrix, uh, reloading The Matrix Revolution back to back. So it kind of had its own kind of, like, production stuff behind it that – you know, may have may, may have influenced the look for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, let's get into the nitty gritty, man. This is it. the The meaning of the Matrix Reloaded. What is the theme? The bigger philosophy being told inside this movie, RV three. Yeah, well, um, also I think unlike the first Matrix, where I think it had it had a it had a general theme, but it's kind of open to a lot of different interpretations. Um, this movie, um, kind of only really has one central theme. I think the rest of the franchise really has one central theme and it's the idea of, uh, predetermination, um, destiny, um, determin- uh, determinism, the, determinism as, you know, as explored in the TV show devs that we're also going to be talking about, um, pretty soon, which we did a, a, a non-spoiler review for before, but we're going to do a full spoiler review for, um, this week. And uh, yeah, I think it, I think that's kind of um, I think that's just that, that that's kind of the bigger theme of it is like the idea of like not having a choice. What does reckoning with the idea of not having a choice means? Is Neil actually the one? Um, you know, all these kind of things just kind of play into it. Yeah, I texted you uh, by the way, and I told you that I was like, I'm blown away by how much devs is kind of exactly the matrix (laughs) like it's determinism right it's the fact that what makes neo the one is that he has the ability to choose that's why he's the one uh and and determinism is real and it lives inside and and the machines know that and the fact that he's able to break out of that is what makes him so exceptional um and then obviously the architect at the final scene of this movie literally spells it all out (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh in that scene Tali Neo that you know humanity cannot make choices except for an anomaly and you're the anomaly and there's there every you know so hundred years so thousand years whatever it is there is uh, uh, an anomaly and you're number six I think is what he says yeah. uh, so there's several ones not just mm-hmm. Neo uh, and every time they choose to save humanity and kind of restart the matrix and restart the control. Uh, it's 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 self-contained rebellion, right? Is essentially right. what they're implying. It's the self-contained notion of like, I'm gonna allow a little bit of hope and a little bit of rebellion just so the humans think they have choice and they have control, even though I'm the one who's allowing it and I'm the one who's still kind of controlling it. Uh, mm-hmm. You remember, we saw Sorry to Bother You, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did see Sorry. I just watched that movie the other day, too, speaking of, yeah. that That's essentially what it is. It's, it's uh, what, what's his name? Army Hammer's speech to Lakeith mm-hmm. when he's like, oh, uh, you know, I'm the big corporate overlord, and we allow these people, I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, right. to have their little moments of the revolution, and I want you to be, I think he says they're MLK. Um, yeah. And, and to have a little revolution, we control it, we, we keep them satisfied, and I'll pay you, is what he says. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's kind of what, what the architect is telling Neo. He's like, yeah, you can do your little human things. That's cool. But we're still going to take like mm-hmm. 95% of humanity and use them as batteries. Um, nice. So, yeah, I, I think that's essentially what it is, is like the, the determinism and how to break out of that and how machine control uses that. And how humanity can, it, the knowledge of knowing that can try and go against it in real life, right? I mean, I'm, I'm bringing everything back to like a bigger metaphor and theme of like, if you're awake to the notion of control, you are able to fight against it, right? Rage against the machine, wake up, the song used at the end of the Matrix. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's essentially what it is, is the is the entire theme of The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, and Trinity kind of plays that little uh, uh, spike, that, that thing that allows Neo to break out of it, his love for Trinity. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, that and, and like, 
and, and causality. The whole uh, McGorvin, McGorvian, uh, French guy, literally explains mm-hmm. action reaction, which again is the exact same scene in Devs. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I think I think yeah, like causality. I think is a big big piece of it, and what choice do we have in defining that? You know, like and all, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's 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 crazy. It it it, it does with so much. So many different um, ideas and concepts that, you know, I think a lot of people who criticize Matrix Reloaded and particularly Matrix Revolution say that it probably got a little too caught up in like explaining these concepts to a lot of people. Um, and, but, you know, it's kind of tough making a sequel to The Matrix when The Matrix is literally about like a person who's being awakened and discovering that he's the one and becoming the one to save The Matrix. It's kind of tough to, make a sequel to that and somebody who's already made the ultimate choice of, of becoming the one. Um, so I guess the sequel idea is like, what if there really is no choice and what is the choice that he makes? And the choice being love is something that, you know, is something that we see and as a, that presents a great theme in, in science fiction as well. Something like Interstellar, something like uh, a lot of other science fiction movies kind of deal with that idea of like love being the significant trait that like distinguishes us from, the rest of nature. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because then I I could kind of get into the idea of love and what and how love is still scientifically chemically uh, ingrained inside of humanity and it's still part of the control that's being used. I mean, think about ex machina. We just talked about ex machina like three mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Uh, I forget the game. Oh, Caleb is his name. Um, and how he thinks he's in love and how that's still used against him by the machines. Right. Uh, we're doomed, RB3. <laughs> we're doomed. I mean, like like the first Matrix said, we're 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 trapped in we're trapped in this idea of, of technology. And you know, and that's that's the very that's what makes this movie that's what I think makes reloaded interesting and I think revolutions I think re- people like revolutions the least, um, because there isn't like a lot of like standout action scenes like there was in Reloaded per se. But I think the the main thing that they're kind of going for of like the idea of like, in order to maintain peace in a system, you kind of have to abide by it a little bit. You kind of have to uh, live within the confinements of it to some extent. Like the idea of like, you can't really destroy the matrix. You can't destroy um, the system. You just kind of have to abide by the system, help the system, um, you know, not get, corrupted by something as evil as like Mr. Uh, Agent Smith or whatever, so like stuff like that. So it's deep. I mean, it's tough, you know, it's tough stuff to really uh, get into without getting into like this kind of like circular thought of like, is choice really an illusion or is it not? Um, everybody throughout the story kind of tells Neo that he's, you know, especially after the first one, he's told that he is the one, but you know, after, from that point, he's kind of told that he's not the one, right? And which leads to other theories of, you know, a lot of people speculating that maybe uh, Agent Smith was really the one the entire time instead of Neo. Um, that's kind of a, a, a theory that got popular through like the film film theorist uh, YouTube channel or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about Agent Smith if we're talking about revolutions, right? The idea yeah. that, I mean, I might be wrong, but this is my reading, the idea that AI reaches consciousness and that's Agent Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's Dolores in, in, in Westworld, whether it's any other AI that we know reaches consciousness, right? Uh, uh Ava right. in, in mm-hmm. Ex Machina and, and his consciousness is another anomaly that spikes that the architect didn't really, you know, predict or see and, and the machines didn't really want to have a, a, another anomaly on the other side that just wants destruction and just wants to, to clean the system pure and kind of reboot the system, I guess, is what right. Smith wanted. And, and and Neo is kind of the, the antithesis of that and being the one of humanity and, 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 and Smith being the one for the software and the computers. Uh, and that's a spike anomaly that wasn't predicted versus Neo's was kind of like, you know, his ability to choose was still something they were able to control, but Smith wasn't was beyond their control. I think they even say that in the end of the movie. He's like, he's beyond your control. You can't control him. Uh, So let me kill him is what he says. Um, And that's the idea of AI reaching full consciousness and realizing that 
humanity's a problem <laughs> and we got to right. take them out, uh, which right. is usually what they do. Uh, what I think and I want to say is that I've said it every five seconds in this episode, but I'm going to say it again. This still has that anime feel with that final battle. Tell me that's not Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> very Dragon Ball Z. That's right? very, very Dragon Ball Z. Like, and and uh, you know, and that's funny because a lot of people hate Man of Steel too, because uh, Man of Steel has like that big, like kind of destruction DBZ oriented, like, yeah. like DBZ kind of style. This movie, uh, Revolutions, kind of did do it first, and, and they did and it first. Yeah, yeah. I, I was um, rewatching this movie, and I was like, oh my god. How did I forget that, that this was the first DBZ style? This was pre-Man of Steel. Because I remember watching Man of Steel and thinking, oh, no, is this Vegeta versus Goku? Like, right. am I right, watching right. Dragon Ball? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And, I mean, that's what... Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I mean, I, 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 and, and and that kind of, like, big scale CGI uh, kind of destruction fight scene, um, I, think it, it may, I think people might have criticized it uh, for like the CGI aspects of it, but I think uh, Man of Steel probably had a lot more resources and a lot more technology that kind of helped it look a little bit better on that front. But yeah, The Matrix did do ultimately that same concept before uh, anyone else did, before Zack Snyder did it. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, it, like like I said before, they're like, oh, if we're sticking with our anime vibes, bro. Let's do Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> right, exactly, and, exactly. And, and, they, and they did that crazy fight with like, they literally have Smith like fly up to the like outer space and then like smash Neo down to earth. Uh, right. Which is like the most like DBZ Superman style fight you can have. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I, I enjoy it for, for the craziness that it is uh, almost like watching a my hero academia action scene and just being like, yo, Oh, like, you know, reacting like you're watching a fight. I, I think it's right. fun. I, I, I thought it was fun watching that. Rewatching revolutions, uh, yeah. but overall, it it doesn't have the the same perfect blend of action, philosophy, uh, a tone that the first Matrix has. Uh, unfortunately, mm. the sequels don't. Uh, if yeah. you had to choose one that you prefer, you, would you say Reloaded? Yeah, probably Reloaded. Uh, probably Reloaded. I mean, I I do I do I do like the greater world concept that the series does end up ending on like i i do like that aspect of it it's just the uh it's just more of the you know the execution of the the blending of the action and, and the spectacle that you know doesn't really do do it much favors but yeah i i, I probably i i really like and also i think the the second one had like a much like clearer objection uh you know by the time you get to like halfway through the movie um it gets to like the uh concept of uh, you know, let's get the key mat. We have to get the key master. It kind of has more of like a straightforward plot. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, I think the set, the third one, it kind of has a harder time establishing like a full blown like structure to it. It's more of like wrapping up all, all the events that it builds up to. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, but it still kind of follows that, that same philosophical guidelines of like yeah. determinism. Like exactly. literally Smith is saying it like 20 times throughout the fight. He's like, I've seen this, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. It's predetermined. Right. Um, uh, so I think that's kind of funny. Uh, the fact that they keep repeating that over and over again, uh, mm -hmm. which I, I guess it's there to, to, to educate the audiences to make sure they know what's going on. Right, um, but either way, man, do you have like a favorite moment for any of the sequels, whether it's Reloaded or Revolutions? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've always liked the that 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 one. Um, I guess it was like a stairway fight, or I guess when they're inside the, the building um, with with Neo and um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I guess it was like that that one like long take that they do. Um, oh, is it in Reloaded in the house? Yeah, Reloaded. Yeah, in the house. Yeah, yeah, that one. Where they that keep one, grabbing right. weapons off the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's always been my favorite scene. Dude, as as a weapons guy, I love that scene. They they just keep grabbing like a spear, swords, like knives, like nunchucks. Like they just grab everything, mm -hmm. uh, and it just fits inside that martial arts vibe for sure. Yeah, that's an incredible scene. I, I would echo that, and obviously the freeway fight, as I said before. Uh, I still like the anime Dragon Ball Z fight at the end. I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, but either way, 
I agree that it doesn't live up to the original, but I still find them to be enjoyable films. Yeah, uh, for sure. Good deal, man. All righty. Any last words on the Matrix? Um, no, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to talk about this. Uh, I think it's one of the, you know, despite the sequels, having more of a middling response from people, I, I still think it's one of the most interesting and inventive sci-fi uh, franchises that we're ever going to see. I'm excited for the fourth one. I don't know what kind of direction they're going to go going forward, but I'm excited to see what they do with that. And, you know, I love spending these last couple of weeks uh, celebrating the Wachowski uh, uh, sisters. So this is this is a good time. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, this is probably my favorite, one of my favorite franchises of all time, if I'm being real honest. It, uh, by, by far, the first movie still has that kind of like all time favorite. Uh, yeah. I, I like the sequels. Uh, I don't like them as much as the, as the first, but I still have so much admiration and respect and, and just love for this and how much this personally just like shaped me as a person and as a human being, because like I said, like I still follow a lot of this stuff uh, mm. today. And it is because of the matrix that I'm able to geek out over something like a devs or, right. or over something like an Alex Garland ex machina type thing. Right. Uh, it, it, or even the animes that I'm talking about today, it, it does have a lot of influence on that. Um, mm -hmm. and that's what I love about movies like this, that, that it can have a, a, a different effect on people. Yeah, um, and, 100%. And I, hope, and I hope it's a positive effect because I do feel like the Wachowskis are really trying to deliver a, a, a positive message of hope mm -hmm. uh, and not hate. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 100%. There you go. Alrighty, guys, for the Meeting of Podcast, I'm Andres. This is RB3. And we are peaced out. Peace out, guys.